Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to try to find a good balance among many competing uses of our limited water supply on today's Access Utah. We'll preview the Bear River Basin Forum. That's an event sponsored by the Bear River Watershed Council. It's happening on Thursday, Thursday evening at 6 o'clock. Um, is a screening of the uh, film documentary film Watershed, which uh, details issues in the Colorado River Basin, but the uh, the issues uh, transfer anywhere. They're competing uses for water. Uh, you have an opportunity to eat dinner at well as well. That's at Terms Inn in Logan. Then uh, seven thirty, there's a panel discussion, including my three guests on the program today. Uh, for the film and dinner, $25. The panel discussion is free and open to the public, and uh, this is sponsored by the Bear River Watershed Council. More information at brwcouncil.org. Some of my guests in the first half of the program include uh, Star Coolbrook from the Oneida Narrows organization. That's an organization you probably heard about in the news, which has so far successfully uh, prevented a dam on the Oneida Narrows uh, area of the, of the Bear River up in uh, southern Idaho. Uh, Star Coolbrook, welcome to the program. Good morning to you. And you're a director of the writing program. The writing center. Writing center at Utah State University. We uh, bring in as well uh, Nancy Messner, associate professor in the USU Department of Watershed Sciences, uh, who, uh, of course, uh, studies many of these issues. Professor, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Also, I think, uh, Associate Dean of Natural Resources. Associate Dean for about two more weeks. <laughs> for, okay. Our, that'll be kind of nice to cycle off. I yeah, guess, yeah, I am cycling yeah, yeah. off, yes. <laughs> and Jim DiRito, who is Bear River Project Manager for Trout Unlimited. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, we should say in the second half of the program, we're going to be talking about a somewhat related uh, issue of competing land interests. We're going to talk about a proposal to uh, give greater protections to the land surrounding Canyonlands National Park. There is a lot of discussion on that, including at the uh, state legislature. And uh, our guest in that part of the program will include our uh, UPR Moab correspondent, John Kovash. Uh, so to set this up, we are this discussion on the watershed issues. We're going to hear a portion of the documentary film. It's called Watershed, and this is uh, narrated by uh, Robert Redford. So we'll hear his resonant voice here uh, outlining some of these issues. As the Wild West was tamed, so were the waters of the Colorado River Basin. The relentless march towards progress led to the 1922 Colorado River Compact and other agreements among seven American and two Mexican states to divvy out the water. They transformed one of the world's wildest rivers, capable of creating grand canyons and inland seas, into the most dammed, dibbed, and diverted river basin in the world. A machine supporting the needs of 30 million people. Agriculture, industry, urban growth, mining, energy production claw for their share. So much so that the mighty Colorado River of today rarely, if ever, reaches her delta in the Gulf of California. With populations in the region expected to reach 50 million by 2050, temperatures rising and precipitation patterns becoming more erratic, demand will outpace supply unless we embrace a new water ethic. One that questions not only how we use water, but how it affects the world around us. Across the Colorado River Basin, from a fly fishing guide in Rocky Mountain National Park, to a wetland restoration worker in the river's delta, a rancher in Colorado, to a bike messenger in Los Angeles, a mayor in mining country, to a Navajo County Commissioner, there are those not only asking the questions, but acting on them daily. That's from the movie, the documentary film, Watershed, talking about competing uses for Colorado River Basin. Many of these issues would be very similar, I would imagine, Professor Messner, for a, a basin like the Bear River Water Basin. Yeah, yeah, actually, especially because the Bear River crosses several state lines, so it also has a compact, just like the Colorado River has. Um, it was, um, uh, I think it was developed in 1958, so it's not as old. But the three states try to cooperatively uh, at least manage the water, and more recently, the water quality as well. We're talking about uh, Idaho, Utah, 
in it, Wyoming? It starts in the in the winters in Utah, heads north through Wyoming, goes into uh, into Idaho, takes a little diversion through Bear Lake, and then does a U-turn up near Alexander Dam. Mm-hmm. It travels, what is it, about 500 miles, and it ends up about 90 miles from where it started. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't remembered that. Uh, it, it's my impression, you know, you drive through Cache Valley, uh, just when you know, that's where we live. Um, and it seems like a nice wet place. Doesn't uh, doesn't seem to typify some of the other arid areas, but there are a lot of competing uses for for this water. Well, and and we in Cache Valley do get, I think, a, a somewhat distorted view, probably because the volume of the river doubles approximately as it comes through Cache Valley with all of the tributaries that come in here. And of course, the whole part, the lower part of the valley, was I'm sure at one point just massive wetlands that we've you know managed and, and developed in different ways. And so I mentioned in that clip, Robert Redford uh, there in Watershed, you've got agriculture, you've got mining, you've got energy, you've got residential, and increasing population, competing uses. I imagine that would describe this basin as well. All of the above, recreation um, and um yeah, pretty much the same uses, not a different type of mining. We don't have hard rock mining so much, but we have phosphorus mining and some other mines in the in the in the basin. Mm-hmm. We turn to Jim Dorito talking about recreation. That's uh, that's, uh, that's what you uh, would uh, your organization Trout Unlimited would uh, would be looking at. Are there increasing pressure points where your organization is concerned about where? Uh, these needs need to go to residential, need to go to farming, but also you're concerned, of, of course, about the streams. Yes, certainly fish and, and fishing is what TU is concerned with. Uh, you know, Trout Unlimited was formed in 1959 with a mission to conserve, protect, and restore uh, cold water fisheries in the watershed throughout North America. So that's really our interest in, in the Bear River and, uh, and many other watersheds throughout the, uh, the western U.S. And, and throughout the country. And you're really thinking about Trout Unlimited, and as far as our efforts here locally in the Bear River, um, really the heart of our, our work is our grassroots and, and our 400. Uh, some uh, TU chapters are located throughout the country, and one of those is the, the cash anglers here who uh, have been working in this area for many years, and uh, certainly they do a lot of work with conservation and education. And uh, I'm part of the professional staff of TU, and I'm focused throughout the entire watershed of the Bear River uh, throughout mm-hmm. the three states, and uh, really to benefit uh, fish and fishing throughout this area. Do you, I guess you, you probably have, with increasing population, you probably have increasing uh, maybe pressures on, on some of these streams and, and riparian areas. People want to get out in these areas, but it's uh, maybe some overuse issues. An uh, interesting thing with the, uh, the United Narrows that was mentioned, uh, certainly with the uh, decision that was made by the Idaho Department of Water Resources, was the increasing use of fishing and recreation uh, in the United Narrows. And uh, that's, that was a positive benefit, if you will, for the river in terms of having a vested interest in protecting that place. And so that really has increased and, and will probably only continue to increase uh, throughout the Bear River as, as well as the western U.S. Mm-hmm. If I could just add something about Trout Unlimited, I work in watershed management and water quality, but TU has been a fabulous partner for years in the um, in the Bear River Basin. They're involved in a lot of uh, riparian restoration, rest- restoring the areas along the edges of a stream. And, and it has multiple benefits, and, and they have been one of those organizations that comes to the table prepared to work collaboratively with people. And so they are very, very effective. Hmm. We're going to hear a, a clip here shortly uh, from Trot Unlimited talking about the Nido Narrows uh, area. But before, I want to set that up just to kind of on, on a global scale, speaking of the whole basin with the Professor Messner here. There are a lot of competing interests, and... I think a lot of times it's behind the scenes, right? It's it's through compacts, it's through it's through compromise that these uh, these uh, competing interests are able to be balanced. I would believe it's only every once in a while and be the exception that something like Oneida Narrows happens. Yeah, I think I mean there's there's oh, there's always the pressure to develop more water. In other words, to dam up more water. And you may have noticed in the paper just a couple of days ago there was an article about aquifer recharging as a way to capture water. And I think that that's probably that and trying to capture water or hold on to water in in these riparian areas so that it sort of drains out more slowly will be the future. I think building dams is sort of the past. And uh, we've done a lot of that, but we've actually removed a dam on the um, on the Bear River. Trout Unlimited was very involved in that action, and um, and 
On, and I, I think that it's fair to say that most people these days do come to the table prepared to work to find the best common solution. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's, I think, the the, the best outcome always. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about that as we go along. And we'll talk a bit about this new water ethic that uh, the Watershed, the movie, is talking about. Mm-hmm. We're all searching for new solutions because mm-hmm. the problems are increasing. Uh, But I want to talk about Oneida Narrows because this illustrates pressure points, which sometimes can't be resolved through through compromise. And this is what happened to Oneida Narrows. Let's hear a a clip. This is from Trout Unlimited um, that uh, I think we found on YouTube. If there's a dam that's put in here, there will be great potential for large carp. Yeah, it'll look a lot like the Oneida Dam up there with what's in it. I don't want that. No, I don't want that. I want it to look like it looks now. This canyon is in the range, uh, the native range of uh, Bonneville cutthroat trout, which are the only trout that's native to the Bear River, and there are still Bonneville cutthroat trout here. The number one thing that has caused the decline is loss of habitat. We can't continue to to degrade these habitats and expect that we're going to have fish around to fish for. Trout Unlimited has invested over $4 million over the last decade restoring the Bear River Basin and the Bonneville cutthroat trout that live there. The Bear River Basin Restoration is a great community partnership. We work with landowners, local fish and game organizations, the local hydropower utility, and many others to restore those fish. We're interested in farmers and irrigators surviving and thriving. We are Trout Unlimited. Our first mission is is the fish. Let's save the habitat and the fish. But in order to do that, we really think we need to save your operation. We need to make your agricultural operation more efficient. We can help irrigators without building the dam. There are a lot of ways to save water on their system that would provide them with the water they need without damming the narrows. One of the most frustrating things with trying to to keep dams from being built and finding other fixes is that they just keep coming back up. People think that storing water is, is, is the answer and, and we just don't agree. Trout Unlimited took the lead in rallying with local landowners, conservation groups, community groups to fight the dam that was threatening that partnership and all that work that we put into the Bear River Basin. And some funky music to play us out there. Um, Jim DiRito, uh, you're—I'm not sure who that was from Trout Unlimited on that on that clip, but they were talking about they're wanting to work with farmers. They're wanting to work uh, work through some of these issues. Uh, I don't know if that's something you do on a sort of a, a regular basis. You're you're reaching out. That's what I do uh, every day, basically. That's what the, the Bear River uh, Watershed Restoration Project is about. Uh, that was cited there in the in the clip. Uh, that work was begun in 2004 by a couple of the folks you, you heard there on the clip. And really the focus is on Bonneville cutthroat trout, the, the native trout to the, the area. Uh, Bonneville cutthroat trout only occupy about 35% of their historic range uh, where they're currently found. And really the way, you know, we, we try to work in the watershed, uh, which uh, fortunately still has uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, the habitat left uh, for this uh, native species and really has a lot of the, the migratory fish, the big fish that live in the Bear Lake or live in the Bear River, and they migrate to spawn in some of the small streams. And so really that was our, our opportunity uh, to work with farmers and ranchers where a lot of the diversions and dams and things like that are on these small tribs, uh, tributary streams, and uh, the fish just can't get up there anymore to, to use them for spawning. And so we work with uh, the agricultural folks and others to basically remove those barriers but still allow them to, uh, to use the water um, that they need for irrigation and things like that. Mm. Uh, if you've just joined us, we're talking about watershed issues on the Bear River watershed. And we're talking, we're previewing the Bear River Basin Forum. We'll be talking about water issues sponsored by the Bear River Watershed Council. That's happening on Thursday evening uh, at six o'clock. There's a dinner and uh, they're going to screen the movie, recent documentary on watershed issues in the Colorado River Basin, six o'clock, $25 for the film and the dinner. Uh, panel discussion follows. That's free and open to the public, 7.30, and this is all happening at Herms Inn in the Logan area. More information at brwcouncil.org. Let's bring in uh, Star Coolbrook. Uh, you, uh, I think, have family up in this area, uh, Oneida Narrows. You're, you're, were you raised in this area? You, you live in this area? 
I don't live there now. I live in Smithfield, but my grandfather homesteaded a parcel of land in 1890. So my family's lived there ever since. In uh, my younger sister lives there now on the original homestead. Hmm. So your ancestors, your grandfather, would have been involved in uh, the agricultural side of this. He, he would have needed water for, for agriculture. That's right, an actual small farmer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, at a certain point, I can't remember when this happened, a proposal for a dam on the Oneida Narrows. Uh, this is was desired by um, for electricity? Is that what the, the desire was? The current proposal is actually the fourth proposal. There was a proposal on damming the Narrows in um, 1964, uh, one in 1986, and that was withdrawn in 1992 when the Idaho Department of Water Resources denied a water permit to that company. There was one in 2001 which, uh, by symbiotics, which actually ended in um, the settlement agreement with among Pacific Corps and many other interests on the in that area. And then this latest proposal by the Twin Lakes Canal Company. Uh, began in 2004 and is ongoing. You were telling me before we went on the air, this kind of cycles back to agriculture, right? They they want power, but it's for it's to run the canals? It does cycle back to agriculture. The farmers on the west side want to have more water to be able to water their crops. Um, the canal company is losing 30% of their water to evaporation, so they want to store more water. They want to store water in the winter and do an exchange with water coming from the Mink Creek, which is where their water supply all comes from now, Mm -hmm. which is clear over on the other side of the valley on the way to Montpelier, and it goes over to the west side of the valley through a canal system. Mm-hmm. So is there is there some support among some residents, or some farmers in favor of this project? Some, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. The uh, public vote that was a non-binding vote um, put all of the people who did not want the dam above those who did. They voted, no, we don't want a dam. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a majority uh, didn't want the dam, and we've heard about this, of course, in the press. Why? Why don't you want the dam? Oh, well, you know, perhaps I should start with describing what the Oneida Narrows is, where it is. That might be good for listeners Mm -hmm. to know how to find it. It's located about 10 miles northeast of Preston, Idaho. It's a rugged, steep-sided canyon with jagged gray cliffs and caves that peer out from sloping hills covered with maples, juniper, mahogany. Bear River enters the Narrows from Thatcher, where it backs up above the existing Oneida Dam, which was built in 1914, and it flows out of the reservoir down the bottom of the canyon. It gathers a lot of speed as it goes. The river through the Narrows is about six miles long, rocky, rapid, prized by thousands of river users every day. I personally counted a 147 floaters on the river one afternoon mm. last summer, or summer before last. Uh, there's a well-maintained gravel road that parallels the river. The surrounding public land is habitat for lots of wildlife, deer, elk, cougar, ducks, bald eagles, even trumpeter swans have been seen there by my sister and me as we hike. <laughs> mm. um, the, uh, the main concern, I think, for people who don't want the dam is it's a wonderful area for recreation. So people floating the river, fishing, hiking, sightseeing, uh, families have been gathering there for a hundred years. So it's uh, it's really prized by the locals. Mm-hmm. So this becomes kind of a flashpoint. This is an area where compromise wasn't successful or uh, yeah, yeah. and so uh, people who like the recreation and, and uh, probably also the concerns um, articulated by trout unlimited for for wildlife versus uh, I guess the geography would would mandate this is a perfect place for a dam so so the people who want the dam aren't that many other places to to go so so this became a, a flashpoint so, so t- tell me how the organization resisted the dam Well, the Oneida Narrows organization was formed in 2007 as a direct response to the latest proposal, the Twin Lakes proposal to dam the Narrows. Um, We felt that not only was the public against 
the larger part of the public against damning this beautiful place, which I've loved since I was a child. But uh, also, um, people felt that, we felt that along with people in the area, that it would be terrible to take away the wildlife habitat, um, just the beauty of the place. So we felt that we needed to jump in and try to make the voice of the locals heard. A lot of the locals are scared to death that the river is going to be stolen by Utah or it's going to be stolen by um, people back east or environmentalists or, or people who don't really understand the local concerns. Mm-hmm. And so we felt that we could give the local concerns uh, a louder voice. So stolen, so if they build a dam, the water would be used elsewhere? Is that what the what well, the fear was? Well, the farmers are hoping to build the dam in order to irrigate crops and keep uh, farming local. However, we know that with some of the big farms that are, um, that are hoping to irrigate even more acreage, they're not going to be able to keep that local if there's more money in it um, to sell their crops elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We'll continue this discussion on Night and Arrows. I want to bring in Professor Vester. This, uh, of course, water issues in the West tend to become political because oh, yes. some of the concerns <laughs> expressed by uh, Stark Wilbrook. Yes. And, and there, are, there, there are fears about uh, you know larger political forces taking water from smaller political forces. I was telling you before I grew up in the Uintah Basin, and uh, you could probably still uh, talk to some of the old-timers who would express bitterness over the Central Utah Project mm-hmm. because they, they felt like a bigger population of Wasatch Front, you were sucking water from the Uintah Basin. Another cross-basin diversion, yeah. which is what Starr was referring to <laughs> with Mink Creek. Yeah, no, it's uh, – the West is, you know, we don't have – a lot of water. We have a very different way of managing water in the West than we do in the East. And so you actually have a water right, the right to use that. And um, and um, everything else kind of works around that. And that becomes this big driver for for storing water, for, you know, for, for um, distributing it. And complicating it, of course, in areas like here in a lot of the West is um, is places like the Salt Lake Valley, where you've got huge development. And I think I referred to the, the sound of a big straw sucking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there is water that's considered sort of developable um, through a uh, Bear River Development Act um, that has been set aside for Cache Valley. Um, but there's concern always that even that water, if the forces, and you can read that as the money behind that, becomes you know convincing enough, then um, then that water could end up elsewhere. Hmm. And I, you know, I, I, as a water quality person, let me just make a shameless plug here. <laughs> um, my um, my focus has always been to try to get people to figure to to re- recognize that we will always have a finite amount of of water. And the challenge then is to protect that water that we have and use it most wisely. The other part that I feel really passionate about is, is acknowledging that there are multiple uses for these waters. Mm. And, and increasingly you hear people refer to environmental uses of the water, like fisheries, like recreation and other uses. Mm-hmm. And those are extremely important for the proper functioning of the land and the river within that landscape. Mm. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll come back and talk more about this. Um, We'll we'll talk more about um, an idea of uh, the proper valuation of uses of water, and that's that's something that uh, Nancy Messner has has talked about. uh, And we will uh, talk more about the Oneida Narrows and uh, where that is, and uh, talk more about the uh, recreational and uh, wildlife Habitat uses for this water. We're talking with Nancy Mester, Associate Professor in the USU Department of Watershed Sciences, Jim DiRito, Bear River Project Manager for Trout Unlimited, and uh, Star Coolbrook, who is with the Oneida Narrows organization. We're previewing uh, an event that's happening on Thursday at Herms Inn in Logan. This is the Bear River Basin Forum, sponsored by the Bear River Watershed Council, and it starts at 6 o'clock 
uh, on Thursday evening. More information at brwcouncil.org. You're welcome to join this conversation if you would like at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Back after the break. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by area-info.net, providing a social media outlet for personalized national, financial, and lifestyle news, and travel and entertainment information is at area-info.net. On From the Top, we don't just put young people on the show to hear their incredible musical performances. We celebrate the whole kid. We're all members of the Vermont Astronomical Society, and uh, we've also gotten really into building telescopes. I run cross-country, and I run track. Well, I'll eat anything as long as it's not looking at me, and as long as it's not moving around. I believe the correct term is math stud. Join me, Christopher O'Reilly, to meet America's most outstanding young musicians on From the Top, each week from NPR. Friday afternoons at 2, repeated Sunday nights at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Support is also provided by Messino Wildlife Management, manufacturer of organic animal repellents under the Animal Stopper name. Retailer location and other information is at stopanimaldamage.com. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We are talking about watershed issues, competing uses for water, and how do we manage those uh, conflicts. And a new ethic, new water ethic. That's the subtitle of Watershed. It's the movie that's going to be shown at an event uh, Thursday evening at uh, Herm's Inn in Logan. This is sponsored by the Bear River Watershed Council. It's the Bear River Basin Forum. And my three guests here are, uh, I think you are half the panel. There are six panelists. And so we've got uh, three of you here. Uh, that uh, will be at Herm's Inn. Six o'clock is dinner and the movie, the documentary Watershed, $25 for, for that. The panel discussion at 7.30 at Herm's Inn is uh, free and open to the public. More information at brwcouncil.org. We are continuing the discussion on balancing water needs. Of course, the, uh, the problems are only exacerbated by increasing population, and there's a limited water supply. Nancy Messner, we, we were talking last week. You brought up an interesting point. Uh, which is that this use it or lose it mentality that we've had with these compacts and such, you get water rights and uh, then you jealously guard those water rights. And that's how it's been throughout uh, decades in in the West. But that sort of that sort of is is counteracting uh, what the water use should be. It is a. It's an ironic aspect of of water rights. This, this business that if you don't actually remove the water from the stream and use it for what's considered, you know, a, a beneficial purpose, which is usually municipal uses or agriculture, then um, then you could lose that right. Now, in the in, across the West, what's happened is that um, the law has not been changed, but our ability to keep water in a river for a beneficial use has changed, and so in this state now. Water rights can be deeded over to the Department of Parks, and I believe it's the Division of Wild, Wildlife Resources. They can, they can basically take ownership or control of that water right, can leave it in the, in the, in the stream for these other purposes, and we don't, it's, it's an example of a nice solution for those kinds mm-hmm. of situations. Hmm. The, the other problem is proper valuation. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, for some of these uses, mm-hmm. and, and maybe some of the newer uses, you know, the non-agricultural uses. If we get the right metrics, maybe we can get the right solution, but that's always a, a problem. That's a problem we're having with air quality issues. There's a, there's a dispute on who's actually causing the problem. And a metric, I mean, with air, at least you've got sort of tons of carbon. And in my business, we talk about, you know, pounds of phosphorus. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's one metric we use. But in terms of sort of finding the common dollar metric, often it's, you know, it takes a little creativity. You've got to figure out what, first of all, you survey people and find out what they, how they value things. And you can also find out what the value of a day at you know, at a reservoir, day fishing is. You can find out. Certainly, there's a lot of work looking at the value of fish, and and um, Jim would be the guy probably to to to, to address that. Mm-hmm. But we do have ways of of assigning sort of a common metric, but we often don't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Dorito, Trout Unlimited. In that clip we heard, we heard one of your uh, predecessors, one of your colleagues, talking about talking with farmers and uh, trying to convince them. That we, we all win if, if they'll remove some of the barriers to the, you know, the fish migration and, and such. Are those some of the conversations you have? 
Uh, definitely. One of the ways we've been able to kind of move from a conflict stance, if you will, to, to more collaboration when dealing with water is, is on these fish passage issues. And so uh, there, there are a lot of dams and diversions that prevent upstream migration of fish and fish using some of the tributary streams, as I mentioned. And, and another part is, is fish actually leaving the stream uh, along with the irrigation flows that go to the farms and fields and things like that. And so we've worked a lot with what are called fish screens. And so you can install these screens uh, in the canals themselves close to where the water is diverted, and they uh, direct the fish back to the stream, but then the water continues to go down the canal to the farmer's fields. And so that's been a very uh, uh, place where we can really benefit both fish, keeping them in stream and keeping them alive, and also benefit the farmers. And uh, it was mentioned uh, in terms of the, the amount of investment that uh, Trout Unlimited and others have made in, in these types of fish passage projects really does you know tally in the millions. Mm. And that not only benefits the fish, but it benefits the farmers and ranchers and, uh, and, and really provides them with better infrastructure to manage their, their uh, irrigation water. And so it's, it's been a very... Uh, a collaborative process and uh, one that we hope to continue with for many years. Mm-hmm. Star Coolbrook, I'm I'm interested in the sort of the human element here, that the the personal interplay and the, the mood and the climate of the community up there. In instances like this, where you can't find compromise and where it it does come to to butting heads, uh, you have there have been hard feelings in the community with people who disagree on this issue. One of the things I brought up when we were at the uh, Department of Water Resources hearing uh, last March, was a week-long hearing, is that the this issue has split the community horribly. Um, there are people who work for farm implement stores and companies, repair places, who are against building a dam because they use the river but they are afraid to say anything against the dam because their job might be compromised. Um, There are families who, um, one family lives in Mink Creek and one family lives on the west side, and so there's tension that way. It's it's caused a terrible rift in the community. Mm. These are high-stakes issues, aren't they? This this goes to the economy. It goes to, and it sort of goes beyond economic and even use issues. It goes to why you value living in that community on on either side, I guess. That does. And and you talk about the economy, and Nancy talked about the economy. Um, a lot of the studies have shown that the um, having the river the way it is brings a lot of money into Franklin County because there are so many thousands of users of the river and a lot of people feel that if there were another dam, another sterile reservoir, there are already nine in the immediate area, that it would not benefit the economy. Uh, Looking down the road at the crops, for instance, the extra crops that the farmers could grow, these farmers may profit, but really we don't see that the local area as a whole would profit necessarily. Mm. Nancy Messner, I wonder if you do a if you were to do a broad overview of issues in the Bear River Basin, is something like the Oneida Narrows, is that the exception to the rule that people are usually able to compromise their way through these problems? Well, I think it's a process, and and um, it's a process that can take generations <laughs> sometimes, quite honestly. I think that one of the places that those of us that work in this area um, see hope is that we understand how to manage um, our lands a lot better than we used to understand. I mean, I work with extension extensively, and we used to tell people to put their dairies right by a river so they could dump the waste in. Of course, that was the 30s. Um, but I still encounter an occasional farmer who says, but you guys told us. <laughs> so we know better now. And there's actually um, cost share funding out there to help people, you know, learn how and, and manage their their cows in that sense better. We understand how important it is to protect that thin green strip along the river and and all the functions that that provides. And there's a lot of government programs and private programs that work together to, to not only um, well to, to to help people change their practices to what we call best management practices. Hmm. 
and uh, we uh, I think we'll we'll leave it there. We're out of out of time. Uh, that'll leave a cliffhanger to to uh, entice people to come to the panel discussion. That's on Thursday evening. Uh, that is six o'clock. Uh, the screening of the movie Watershed. It's about the Colorado River Basin, uh, finding a new water ethic uh, for the West. Is the subtitle of the movie, narrated by Robert Redford, by the way. Uh, so $25 for the dinner and the movie, and then there's a panel discussion involving my three guests here and uh, three other people, uh, and the panel discussion is free, and that starts at 7.30. All of this at Herms Inn in Logan, and more information at brwcouncil.org. And uh, my thanks to uh, Star Coolbrook from the Oneida Narrows organization. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Uh, thanks to Nancy Messner. My pleasure. Associate Professor in the U.S. Department of Watershed Sciences. And thanks to uh, Jim Dorito, who is uh, the Bear River Project Manager for Trout Unlimited. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Uh, coming up following a break, we're going to be talking with our Moab correspondent, John Kovash, uh, about a proposal for greater protection for the lands surrounding Canyonlands National Park. It's the Greater Canyonlands uh, region project. Uh, some want to uh, even give it monument status, and others uh, say that'll be locking up the land. We need to use this for other purposes. So, a, a related discussion coming up following the break. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the USU Credit Union, serving members with online bill payer, web teller services, and mobile banking for around the clock account access. Information is at usuccu.org. Support also comes from your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. Talks from the legendary TED stage are coming to radio. What TED celebrates is the gift of the human imagination. Everything we think we've we had feel. to believe in impossible, things. Infinite possibility. That's big ideas that will change the way you look at the world. I'm Guy Raz. Join me each week for ideas worth spreading on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Coming to Utah Public Radio this Monday, continuing on Mondays, 10 a.m. right here on UPR. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we bring you funky techno and tribal beats, cool combinations of electronic effects with traditional melodies heard in the clubs and lounges of Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. One day, one woman asked him, what do you do survive? I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join me for Global Groove, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We continue a discussion on competing uses for land uh, and uh, what we should do about uh, the land that uh, we all value um, and take it to Canyonlands. Uh, there is a proposal. Uh, this was started, I believe, by the Outdoor Recreation Association uh, to even give uh, monument status to the lands surrounding Canyonlands National Park. In any case, many people want to preserve this land for recreational use, citing um, large economic benefits to the area from the uh, recreation and tourism uh, provided there. Others say, no, we want to use this for uh, extraction, for energy. And, of course, this is an old, old discussion in the West, and uh, now it's expanded to the greater Canyonlands region. We bring in our Moab correspondent for UPR, John Kovash. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. And we reach you, I understand, in Denver. This right. Point. <laughs> uh, cloudy day in Denver. Okay. We, we appreciate you joining us here. Uh, so uh, perhaps you could uh, set this up for us. At, at the legislature, uh, this comes in the form of Senate Joint Resolution 10, which is proposed by Senator Jim DeBacchus, uh which calls for studying preservation of these lands. Maybe you could situate this for us. Uh, people who haven't been in the Moab area for a long time or never been in this area, these would be lands. It's called the Greater Canyonlands Region, right? The lands surrounding Canyonlands National Park. Correct, and uh, if you if you you know it's uh, 
by most estimates, adding 1.4 million acres of protection. And if you were looking at a map, it's a pretty fat new circle uh, drawn around uh, uh, the, you know, the existing Canyonlands boundaries that uh, would uh, include some areas that don't, aren't really protected now, uh, such as the Dirty Devil Canyon and uh, a bunch of the Green River Canyon and uh, some uh, uh, very popular backcountry areas that stretch toward Monticello. And uh, so uh, th- th- these are mostly ex- uh, already federal lands, although about 9% are Sitla uh, state-owned lands. Uh, and you'll have to excuse uh the chimes in my uh, location. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, it um, you know people who haven't been to the Canyonlands, it's it's the remote part of Moab. It's uh, it's where the backcountry people go, and it's huge. It's a vast area that has the you know the Colorado and Green confluencing right in the middle of it, uh, and uh, so the. Back in November, the uh, the retailers uh, drafted this resolution, uh, which, uh, if people aren't familiar with them, they're the ones that have been fighting with the state for years and threatening to to move their giant trade show out of Salt Lake. Uh, but they drafted this resolution that had uh, many giants in the in the business. Uh, Patagonia, Tiva, Osprey, Mountain Hardware, Camelback, Burton Snowboards, uh, some really big folks, uh, all all getting behind this resolution, which was also signed by uh, hundreds of uh, local uh, recreation-based uh, businesses in Utah, including many in Moab. And uh, so the following month, the uh, our sagebrush rebels down here started organizing and uh, They've got a boycott uh, going against uh, all businesses who uh, signed the signed the letter to Obama, uh, asking for this protection, and in uh, uh, mobilizing with their own petition campaign. And, uh, and then on the other side, you have uh, you have a, a quite an array of national uh, or organizations uh, supporting the Greater Canyonlands actively. Uh, Sierra Club, National Resource Defense Council, uh, Great Old Broads for Wilderness, Center for Biological Diversity, uh, uh, and then in Utah, of course, you've got SUA, uh, and locally uh, an outfit called Living Rivers, and the Canyonlands Watershed Association uh, are a pretty big array on the other side. Um, the uh, I, I would say that locally you're going to find the least support because it's very divided in Moab and then the other community obviously most affected is Monticello and you you will just uh, find even less support there uh, which is truly getting into sagebrush rebel country and uh, an interesting thing to me was that the letter unfortunately didn't consult local greens because uh, it was very strident on its roadless language, uh, the, the ATV menace and all that. Uh, you know, there are 2,200 miles of routes to fight over in Canyonlands, and uh, some some of which have been fought over for quite some time. Um, and I think if they had consulted the local greens, uh, they, they might have not been so strident on that because they are far more concerned about the uh, the energy issues uh, at this point mm-hmm. and uh, the greens here uh, probably have never seen uh, you know moab more threatened when you add up everything that's going on now because we not only have the oil and gas we have uh, very large potash operations uh, set for a a big expansion. We've got tar sands on the horizon for the vicinity. We've got uh, uh, people mobilizing against a nuclear plant in Green River, and there's there's a big there's a very high threat feeling uh, among the Greens, so they naturally support this. But uh, for example, if you want to look at the whole community, just a couple of weeks ago, the our county council here passed a resolution opposing Greater Canyonlands, so. 
it's very mixed here. Hmm. Interesting. So, the, so the, the actual locally, it's it's very divided. Where whereby I guess you move further out, there there'd be more support for this. Exactly. Uh, let me uh, ask you. Let me ask you about the, uh, the the original letter the from the Outdoor Retailers Association. Uh, I believe they wanted President Obama to invoke the Antiquities Act and and make these areas monument. Is, is that what they wanted? Well, I believe it was suggested, uh, and that's one, another thing that triggered, uh, you know, the opposition because they they all remember when uh, when President Clinton uh, created the Grand Staircase uh, using the Antiquities Act, and uh, he's never nobody's ever forgiven the government for that one, and and uh, the fear is that well, that's what. Uh, Obama is going to do this time around is uh, he's just going to bide his time and when the time is right just uh, swoop in and and uh, do all this by executive order Um, it it, you know it it would be nice to to, if there were some kind of process where different sides could work for compromises and and and, uh, you know more elegant solutions uh, but it it doesn't seem uh, like a supportive environment for that right now. Neither side trusts the other. And what what would an outline for a compromise look like? Do you think on this issue? Well, for example, if, if uh, the Greens were willing to concede on some of the roadless issues uh, in exchange for the greater protections against the oil and gas and minerals and in uh, extraction and exploration. Uh, that's uh, something that uh, I think could potentially be quite a bit more popular. Uh, and it sounds like, uh, from what you're saying, uh, you know, you, the local Greens, as you, you call them, um, would have wished they'd been consulted. Um, do they feel like the threat that they feel is the bigger threat, which is the extractive industries, that's sort of being diluted, that danger, and it, it becomes more of a reality because the, the national organizations focused on the roadless issue. I don't know if, if they've uh, really reacted that. I think they're just focused on the idea that uh, it's just incompat- in, they are not compatible uses that, uh, you know, you can't have a tour- tourism business in a in a landscape uh, that start starting to look like vernal uh, with uh, you know exploration everywhere every corner that you explore and uh, so it's uh, the uh, I, I guess uh, the fact that the Democrats are saying uh, put this aside and study it for a year uh, you know, could be taken in different ways. Uh, it would seem like everyone's kind of biding their time to marshal their forces kind of thing. It does seem like uh, the, there's just a lull in the fight that's going to that's gonna break out again. By the way, Senate Joint Resolution 10 uh, proposed by uh, Senator Jim DeBacchus, uh, what that's calling for is more study on this issue, and it uh, seemed like the Senate generally looked favorably on that. They, they sent it to interim committee. They didn't, they didn't kill it outright, so that's, that's where it is. Uh, I wonder, uh, I'd like to take up this, this uh, sort of this uh, economic boycott idea. This is, this is, ha- is this still ongoing? So the, this, the sagebrush people are, are boycotting the businesses who signed the resolution? Oh, it's still ongoing, and uh, Moab kind of has a history of the boycotts. Uh, they've had some pretty strong ones in the back, uh, in the past, uh, when... Uh, SUA has, uh, when local businesses have supported resolutions by SUA concerning the backcountry here, uh, they have put out boycott lists. And I've had visitors, you know, come to Moab and they have their list and they go, oh, okay, here's the restaurants we can't go to because they signed a letter supporting SUA. So it, it's a, it can be quite uh, effective. What are the uh, what are the people? What are some of the other people? Are are the um, oil companies, uh, p- companies like that? Are they joining in this fight, or, or are they uh, content to let the you know, sagebrush people uh, fight this fight? Not that I've seen. Uh, I think they know better than to be too 
too visible. I mean, they're getting their way anyway. We just a couple of weeks ago had uh, some final, big final lease sales uh, here that uh, uh, remain highly controversial, especially one parcel. And uh, that uh, a lot of folks here feel that uh, uh, the BLM, which is really the the only uh, overseeing of, of what goes on here is uh, uh, is not uh, is not as much of a watchdog as they'd like like it to be. So uh, it's probably premature for the oil companies to complain or or be highly visible. <laughs> uh, and I guess it, for the environmental organizations, it does come down to mistrust of the BLM, right? They want greater protections because a lot of this land is already federal land. Yeah, the huge majority of it, and of course, just like a lot of Utah, uh, it's uh, private land is you know quite a bit scarcer. So uh, it's a uh, yeah, it's a very. Some people think of it as an aesthetic thing; they just don't want to look at uh, oil rigs. But uh, uh, there's also you know. Uh, Picking up on your previous uh, guess, uh, a, a very big water factor. Uh, all of these extraction uh, sources uh, are very, very thirsty operations, and uh, then you add uh, the threat of, of uh, you know, there's been a lot of research done by the local greens uh, because nobody else will do it, uh, studying how. Our uh, water, our watershed works, and where the you know how the water migrates, where and what how it potentially could be contaminated, and there's very high concern that fracking, uh, that it would be very vulnerable to fracking, and that uh, if it were to contaminate the water here, we we wouldn't have much of a warning. There would be just one year that uh, it starts to go south. So. Mm. In the meantime, we just have thirty seconds. What, what's what's the mood in in Moab on on this issue? I have have to say it's uh, you know it's not front and center anymore. I, I mean, I think it was to me surprising that the Democrats uh, even picked this up because uh, you know when it first came out, it uh, garnered very quick opposition from Governor Herbert and uh, Utah reps like uh, Rob Bishop and. Jason Chaffetz, and uh, it just seemed seemed to be going nowhere from the start. Uh, you know, I, I was just looking on the internet today, though, and the, these national uh, green groups are still pushing it quite hard, and uh, so it'll be interesting to watch it unfold, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep an eye on this as well, uh, probably to talk to you again on, on this issue, um, just to uh, let people know. That uh, Senate Joint Resolution 10, which uh, basically what it does is calls for study uh, on potential greater protection for the Greater Canyonlands area, that has been referred to interim study. So the the, the legislature sort of kicked that down down the road, sponsored by uh, Senator Jim DeBacchus. Uh, John Kobush is a UPR Moab correspondent. Thanks so much. You are welcome. And uh, coming up tomorrow, we are going to talk about bullying. We'll talk with the author of a book who's... Uh, who studies this issue, also uh, the author of a uh, University of Utah study on bullying. There's been uh, several proposals at the legislature on this as well. Bullying, our topic, tomorrow on Access Utah. For producers uh, Danny Hayes and uh, Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening.